And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Thursday, January the 30th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today, on January 30th, 1933, Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany. And today, in 1945, Adolf Hitler marked the 12th anniversary of his appointment as Germany's Chancellor with his last speech. In his last speech, he called on Germans to keep resisting until victory. Well, victory was eluding Hitler and Germany at that time. Well, Adolf Hitler was telling the Germans to hang in there and keep resisting. He went away to his hideout and later would take his own life, it is said. Today, in 1948, the Indian political and spiritual leader, Mahatma Gandhi, 78 years old, he was shot and killed in New Delhi. Remember the Flying Walendas? You know that name? Well, today, in 1962, two members of that family, they're family of people that have done this for a couple of generations, I guess. They're, they have a high-wire act. Well, they, in 1962, today, there were um, a couple of them were killed. They were doing a seven-person pyramid uh, up on a high-wire at the State Fair Coliseum in Detroit, and it collapsed, and uh, two members of the family were killed. However, they didn't stop, the family didn't stop doing that because Remember that guy in the last few years? I can't remember his first name, but he's a Walenda. He's part of this family. He He's the guy that walked across the uh, Grand Canyon here a few years ago, and NBC went out there and covered that live. I remember this because NBC, I mean, I don't know that they thought he might fall off the wire, but I, I think they saw the value of the suspense of it and all. But they were out there with a camera in the Grand Canyon. Uh, up, I mean, not in it, but up, you know, on the edge of it, and where he walked across, and they, inter- they interviewed him and everything, and they kept hyping this story, and this Walenda guy. And he, he walks across buildings, too. He did one in New York. You remember him? Well, anyway, NBC's out there, and they're covering this story, and um, several of their luminary stars at NBC were out there. And... Um, so they get to this guy and they and they start to interview him before he walks across there, and this Walenda launches into this strong uh, testimony, a witness about Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and went on and on and on about very appropriate, but it just blew NBC away. That was not what they expected. I don't think they were prepared for it. And they had this kind of rolling their eyes and looking at each other like, what do we do now? They was live. He went ahead and successfully walked across the uh, the Grand Canyon, as he has done, you know, on a high wire between some tall buildings in Chicago, New York, and elsewhere. But the guy is a very committed Christian, and he's not timid in sharing his faith. But I remember that particularly because the um, NBC was just, I mean, they didn't know where to hide. So they just kept the camera rolling, and this guy just shared his testimony. Then he took off and walked across the Grand Canyon on a cable. Oh, boy, I have a strong testimony. I love the Lord with all my heart, but I'm not about to walk across any canyon on a cable, I'll tell you, or attempt to. Today, in 1968, the Tet Offensive began during the Vietnam War. It was a setback for the U.S. and its allies. Many of us were young in those days, and we remember that, don't we? Today, 1972, 13 Roman Catholic civil rights marchers were shot to death 
They were shot to death by British soldiers in Northern Ireland. It became known as Bloody Sunday. Today, in 1974, President Richard Nixon, he delivered what would be his last State of the Union address. In it, he pledged to rein in rising prices without the harsh medicine of recession. And he established a national health care plan, or he said he would establish a national health care plan that every American could afford. That was 1974. Today, in 1981, an estimated 2 million New Yorkers turned out for a ticker tape parade. They were honoring the American hostages that had just been freed from Iran. That was immediately after President Ronald Reagan was sworn into office, where they released. Five years ago today, Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney is an interesting character. But five years ago today, Mitt Romney announced that he had, I'm quoting him here, I have put aside, I have, I have put considerable thought into making another run for president. But in the end, I have decided that other leaders in the Republican Party should have a chance. Think about that for a moment. I mean, I'm not going to run for president and I've given it considerable thought because I know I would win, but I want to give other people an opportunity to have their shot at it. I have a real problem with Mitt Romney. i got to be honest with you on a lot of fronts, and I'm not going to get into that today, but he just bothers me. I don't know. There's just something about I know he's deeply religious, and I know he's a big deal in the Mormon church. I know all that. And I know he's got a together family, and I respect that. I mean, he and his wife and kids and all that. I respect that. But boy, he bothers me. I don't know what it is about him, but anyway. Former Vice President Dick Cheney has a birthday today. How old do you think he is? He's 79 years old. Harold Wilson made a comment once. He's a former British prime minister during the 1900s. He made a comment. I'll pass it along to you. He said, courage is the art of being the only one who knows you're scared to death. (laughs) In other words, we're all scared. But courage is the art of not letting anybody know that you're scared to death. Well, I think all of us go through times of fear and difficulty. Our confidence gets shaken. The Lord addresses that in his word. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 26 says, For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. In other words, losing your footing. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 16, I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things, the Lord. Paul wrote again in Ephesians, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. The Bible is full of references to confidence. Not in ourselves and not in the circumstances in which we find ourselves, but in the Lord. That's why we can have confidence in all situations. Don't cast away your confidence, Hebrews says. Our confidence is in the Lord. There's a lot of reasons today for people to cast away their confidence or lose their confidence or be scared to death. 
But we stand firm because God is our confidence. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It's an amazing promise. And you know, God has never broken a promise. A lot of things are said about God. His name is used often in negative ways, blasphemous ways. But no one has ever stepped up and said, I'm going to show you, I'm going to prove that God has not kept his promises. And people throughout the history of the human race who have served the Lord, sometimes, most often, their last words or their thoughts before passing passing away are that the Lord has been faithful. God is faithful. In the good times and the bad times, in the scary times and the not-so-scary times, and we don't have many of not-so-scary times anymore. There's a lot going on in our world. Coronavirus is all over the place. You know, I mean, how... How big is this going to get? Nobody knows. Nobody knows if China is telling the truth about how many people are actually infected there. In fact, most people that are, you know, dialed into these kinds of things are saying they're probably not telling the truth because they have a history of not telling the truth. So we live in amazing times. Politically, our whole system, the greatest country, and the, the most powerful, the most prosperous, the most blessed country, the United States of America in the history of the human race is in upheaval today because there are people who are just hell-bent on reversing an election because they don't like it. They don't like the personality of Donald Trump and they don't like what he stands for. Well, I understand his personality is abrasive. I get that. I've often said on this program, I didn't start out supporting him for president. I mean, I've always kind of been intrigued by him. He's such a unique individual. I read his book a long time ago about the art of the deal. I mean, years and years and years ago. But I will tell you, through the process of events, I found that I could not, certainly could not support Hillary Clinton for all the reasons we all know. So I set aside my first three or four choices for president in 2016 because they weren't on the ballot in the final ballot, and Trump was. But I have seen a man who's deeply flawed. I mean, we know that. We're all flawed. We're all sinful. But he's deeply flawed. He's done a lot of things that aren't acceptable. And he knows it. He's admitted it. But he's a guy that constantly calls for prayer, and he brings all these people in from Mike Pence, the vice president, who's truly one of us. He's an evangelical through and through. He loves the Lord. He serves the Lord. He prays, he seeks God, he reads his Bible. I mean, he's committed. And the president bring, brings him alongside to be the vice president, but he brings in all these pastors, and I don't know all of them, but I know some of them that you see showing up in these pictures. These guys are laying hands on the president, they're praying for him, they're singing praise songs around him, and the president's standing there, and they, I am told that he asks for these prayer meetings. Because he'll always say to these guys, there's Robert Jeffress and Jack Graham and a bunch of other people. And like I said, some of them I don't, I don't have any take on. I mean, I don't know who they are, but they seem to love the Lord. But they stand around and they pray for him. And he keeps asking for this. He'll ask for a prayer meeting. And they'll come and they'll pray for him. They'll lay hands on him. 
It's New Testament church-like in that Oval Office, I've been told. So, you know, you look at this today, and, and then you see all of the the uproar and the upheaval politically and socially. You could lose confidence. But I don't think, you know, I, I know... <laughs> I know Harold Wilson meant well, but I don't think we have to pretend that we're not scared. I think we can constantly focus and refocus on the truth that God is who he says he is. We don't have to cast away our confidence. We don't have to pretend like we're not scared when we are scared. We can just turn to the Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by our faith in him, the letter to the Ephesians says. Boy, I'm glad I'm a Christian. I would, man, I would hate to get up every day and face the world and face life and all of the stuff out there and not be a Christian. It'd be terrifying sometimes. No wonder, you know, anyway. President Trump signed a new trade deal with Mexico and Canada yesterday. It was lost in the news. They didn't want to cover that. It's probably the the biggest, the most effective, the most unlikely trade deal in the history of this country. I mean, there are businessmen who didn't even support the president that are saying that. It's USMCA. It's the it's a new agreement with the United States, Mexico, and Canada. It's a big deal, and it's a big victory for Trump, but the media very carefully hid that from the, from America yesterday. They barely covered it. A couple of I spent a few minutes kind of reviewing what they said about it or, and what they didn't say, and some of the major networks didn't even mention it, but those that did, ABC mentioned it, but it was five seconds. Just It was almost like, you know, the... The, the the traffic lights out on the corner of 4th and Pine or whatever. It was just a passing comment. But it's being hailed by people in the business community as one of the greatest, if not the greatest deal ever made on behalf of America, not the other people. It's projected to create a minimum of 600,000 new jobs. President Trump said yesterday when he when he signed the deal, I noticed Vice President Pence was standing beside him and a bunch of other guys from the business community in the country. Trump said, I, I keep my promises and I'm fighting for the American worker. Well, he is. He is. And that that's why this, you know, the socialists and the, all these guys, I mean, the Bernie Sanders and their, you know, their offspring, they all, they just... They not only don't like his personality, and as I said, I understand that part, they don't like his success. They really don't like it. And that's why they work so hard. Not Bernie. I mean, he's trying to become the next president, so he's trying to defeat him on the ballot. But these other guys are taking all of these draconian uh, steps to try to remove this man and to overturn the vote of 63 million people. The president said yesterday, NAFTA ends today. A new era of job growth begins under the USMCA. The president said this is something we really put our heart into. It's probably the number one reason I decided 
to lead this crazy life that I'm leading right now, as opposed to that beautiful, simple life of luxury that I've had, uh, that I had before running for this office. But I love doing it. Stephen Moore is a Heritage Foundation guy who's a he writes a lot on business, and the Heritage Foundation is conservative and they're supportive of the president. They, they were they're supportive of most all conservative type presidents. But Stephen Moore said yesterday, he said, this is quite a victory. He said, I was one who was skeptical. As you know, he told the 700 Club, he said, I was skeptical, as you know, that Trump could even pull this off. He said, I thought it was a very risky strategy. But Moore said this, the strategy paid off. And he said, it's Trump's biggest bipartisan victory since taking office. He said, this is a big deal. And it follows a phase one of an agreement with China. And all of this is is feeding into making our economy more robust. I realize life isn't all about money, but I mean, I'll tell you, (laughs) money is part of life. It's the exchange that makes the wheels turn. And Trump has contributed enormously to our economy by all standards. Yet on November 9th, 2016, November 9th, 2016, the election, the progressive Democrat movement in America began the work of impeaching this newly elected president. I mean, it's like giving a guy a job at 8 o'clock in the morning, saying this will be your job, your title is such and such, and you're going to do so and so. And... Five minutes later, you start trying to write him up and build a file so you can fire him. It's amazing. But that's what's going on in our country. The effort is to discredit uh, discredit the duly elected president, and it's to, as I said a few moments ago, overturn the will of 63 million people. It's not the will of all people in, in America, but 63 million about that voted, elected him. But Steve Scalise, Representative Steve Scalise, remember him? Remember when they were practicing for the annual baseball game that the the Congress congressmen play every year and all the money goes to charity? They raise a lot of money at that. It's a pretty big deal. Well, the, the Republicans were practicing in one field in Virginia or Washington, D.C., right in the area there somewhere, and the Democrats were somewhere else practicing for the big game. This guy comes in with a gun. Remember, and he asked somebody there, he said, are these the Republicans or the Democrats? And the guy said, well, these are the Republicans. And this guy starts shooting. Well, Steve Scalise was the one that was injured the most, and he spent months and months and months in the hospital and multiple surgeries. Well, anyway, it's that Steve Scalise. He's back now, and he's strong, and he's in office and doing well. But he says that all of this nonsense about about getting rid of the president Somebody in Congress yesterday said they're trying to abort the president, the left. They like abortion so well, they want to abort the president. Anyway, Scalise says that this is not only costing the, uh, taking an emotional toll and a cultural toll on America, but it's costing lives. And he laid it out. Why? And I want to talk to you just for a couple of minutes about that today because um, we should be aware of this. Last October, Liz Harrington, she wrote a piece for Real Clear uh, Politics. That's not a, Real Clear Politics is not a a conservative publication. 
But in her article, she laid out the history of opposition to the president following day one on 2016, as I mentioned. She said in her article, it's rather lengthy, but let me give you just a couple of little quotes from it. She said, to impeach does not just mean our constitutional process to remove a president for high crimes and misdemeanor, or in this case, Democrats kowtowing or kowtowing to a radical base to jam through proceedings before their case falls apart. To impeach also means to cast doubt on. Then she said, when Miss Pelosi says the facts have changed the situation, she's really saying that now the Democrats have finally settled on an excuse to satisfy their mission, and she briefly describes their timeline in developing their mission. She says, Russia was so 2016, 2017, 2018, and well, she said even 2019, up until July 24th. Then the far-left radical progressive colony in America shifted to Ukraine. My point in this is that Harrington outlines it as well as anybody I've seen, and it's not a single event that has brought us to this impeachment um, effort. But it's the decision to get rid of him because they don't like him before his policies were even in place. And now that his policies are in place, because they lean so strongly toward socialism, the left, the Democrat Party in America, Now they don't like his policies, but before he had policies, before he had done anything, they already were trying to impeach him. And she makes that, she puts it out there. And I mean, it's to us simple, ordinary, middle class people in America, we get that. I think the elites in Washington, D.C. get it as well. But they're trying to circumvent it, even though it's a fact. They're trying to say this man needs to be removed when this man is doing what he said he would do, and it's all pretty much in the interest of the country. So instead, the impeachment movement has remained fluid, and they've had a mission, and they've been looking for something to attach their mission to to justify it and to to authenticate it. So you start out, you say, I hate this guy, and I'm, we're going to get rid of him. Now let's find out what we can figure out, what, what formula will work to get rid of him. And any trial or any kind of thing, like an impeachment or a trial or whatever, I mean, it's supposed to work the other way around. In fact, there's an old saying that used to be quoted often in America. You're innocent until proven guilty, but that's not been the case with this. And not in defense of Trump, but I'm just, we're looking at the the environment that we live in today. And of course, the press is very complicit. We know that. And I talk about it often and will, because the press is just, it just isn't the news anymore. It's not reliable. You can't turn on the news and say, wow, I didn't know. I mean, I've gotten to a point where if they say the building down at the corner is on fire, I'm not sure it is. I'll walk out on the sidewalk and look to see if it is. You just can't really trust the press today. And that's that's why, you know, Christian broadcasting and all and publications, we need that more today than ever before. But some would say because of the distraction of the impeachment this past three years, the left has not only been harmful in that what they might have actually gotten accomplished had they got up and gone to work like the rest of us every day. And that's a good point. But seriously, 
Can we estimate the loss to our country that this effort to remove the president has created? We can't. We can't. Steve Scalise, he told Laura Ingram on Tuesday night of this week, day before yesterday, he said it's bad enough that Democrats tried to impeach President Donald Trump for criticizing NFL players, but now they're ready to sacrifice American lives simply to deny him an achievement. I wrote an article today, and in it I put the bit of the transcript, it's three or four or five minutes, of the back and forth between Laura Ingram and Representative Scalise. But what he's saying in that is that a, he, he makes one point. He said there's a whole bunch of bills that Nancy Pelosi won't put forward and let the people vote on in the House because she just opposes the president. She doesn't oppose or not oppose the bill but it, she just uses it as a leverage. And among those bills, he said, is a whole class of fentanyl drugs that are killing America. He, he said, fentanyl drugs are currently illegal. President Trump is putting people in jail today, he said, on Tuesday of this week, today, because, he said, the drug dealers are selling them on the street, fentanyl. And he said, next week, I think it's next Wednesday, these drugs become legal because the legal ban on them expires. He said there was a bill that was passed by the Senate unanimously to keep those drugs illegal. So the drug dealers who are killing families in every community in this country, President Trump is putting them in jail. But come next Wednesday, the Justice Department, the the police won't be able to act on that. He said the damage is on their hands. Every single person who dies from these illegal drugs who can't, when you can't put the drug dealer in jail next week, he said it's on Nancy Pelosi's hands. Well, he's right. I mean, to whom much is given, much is required. And she's been given a lot of responsibility. He says she won't bring bills like this to the House. He said we have a bill to lower drug prices. He said everybody's in favor of it, but she won't let us vote on it. Democrats and Republicans to help people. Because she doesn't want Trump to have a victory, an achievement. That's the world we live in. Interesting, let me share this with you quickly. I've just got a minute or so left. President Trump is doing these rallies. He did, week before last, he did uh, one in Milwaukee, which is very, very liberal town. They did a survey. He does these, they're, they're packed. I mean, more people can't get in, then do get in, and there's 20, 30,000 people or more in all of these all of these events. But they found in the event in, in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, that 20,394 voters that they identified in the crowd that, that filled out the little form, among them, 57.9% were not Republicans, but planning to vote for the president this fall in the election. It's amazing. And 4,313 of them didn't even vote in 2016, but they planned to vote for Trump in 2020. No wonder the left is concerned. No wonder they're panicky. Thanks for being with me today. I'll see you tomorrow.